Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning. The Lord is our strength. I've experienced that over the last couple of weeks, really been suffering with a bit of uh, health issues, but He is my strength, isn't He? Do I look under the weather? No. Do I sound under the weather? Neither. Only my family knows the reality. (laughs) He is our strength. Can I remind you about that today? If you feel a little bit run down, the Lord is your strength. Somebody sent me that this morning. And I not just claim it and receive it like the prosperity people say. I am convicted about it. And may that conviction settle in your heart too in this coming week. Well, right now. It's my uh, privilege to do his story, is. I don't know how to pronounce it other than histories. And um, today, we're talking about the Tower of Babel. I believe Duan did a fantastic job on Noah. Who was here? Can we give him some love? Well done. Well done. I couldn't listen to it because it wasn't recorded. So if you're looking for it on podcast, I'm sorry it's not there. Just uh, take him for a coffee. Buy him an expensive gift, and he will gladly share his notes with you. I know he needs new tires for his car, but as the Lord leads. Father, I thank you that this morning we can sit around your, your word, Lord, even though it's, if it's looking at the word through what our Sunday school experience might have been like or that, Lord, and it might seem so simple. Father, but I pray that you speak to us profound truths, realign, refocus, Retruth us, Lord, if I can make up that word. Retruth us, Lord, that we will focus on your revelation on you. Lord, give me the ability to speak to your children in a succinct and clear way that brings life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the story from our book. Remember I told you a very nice children's Bible? 360 rand at kum. It's worth investing. But this is how the story goes in that children's Bible. Long ago, all the people in the world spoke the same language. And everybody goes, really? It was a language we are no longer familiar with. Now, some of the commentaries say that it was Hebrew, but I mean, let's not dispute it. A large number of those people lived in the land of Babylonia. One day, they decided to build a large city with a very high tower. Now, why would they want to do that? Their conversations might have gone something like this. Let's build a tower that reaches to the sky. No one has ever done that before. Sounds a little bit like society today, hey? It will make us great and no one will ever be able to defeat us. No one and nothing will be more important than us. The post-truth, post-modern world we live in. We are gods, aren't we, according to popular belief. The Lord must have thought, ah, these people are so important in their own eyes. They believe themselves to be more important than me. I'm going to confuse them. I'm going to mix up their speech so they won't understand each other. And that is exactly what the Lord did. The people tried to talk to to each other, but all of a sudden they all spoke different languages. And I can't wear an Afrikaans in half the vanilla verstaan nie wat aangaan nie. 
So the people were forced to discard their plan and find various other plans to live. And that is why the city was called Babel. Because God brought about confusion by causing the people to speak different languages. Have you ever watched Faulty Towers? Anybody here? And Mr. Faulty is convinced he speaks Spanish. And he says, I speak a classic Spanish. <laughs> Spanish, not what this, this person speaks. And poor Manuel, oh, he just wants to please Mr. Faulty. I think that's what happened at the Tower of Babel. All of a sudden, they all wanted to work together, but they just couldn't understand one another. Por qué? Por favor. Should I do it? Hola, Ruben. Come and Ah, the Tower of Babel. Now, for a little bit of history, it, it was in Babylon. It was in, in modern-day Iraq where it was built. And the Persians um, are beautiful people, and they built beautiful stuff, it would seem. There is a pun in this little piece, this little vignette. Genesis 11, uh, 11 from verse 1 to 9. Little piece of history recorded just after what happened with Noah and the flood. And in this little piece, there's, there's, there's this history part recorded where, where these people decided that if they focus on something, they're going to build something and they're going to make something of themselves. And let's be honest, don't we all want to make something of ourselves? You go to school and you go to varsity and you believe that when you walk out of there with your master's or your undergrad or your postgrad or whatever, that you're going to make something of yourself. And as parents, we believe it even more. Because, yo, if we can just get those blessings to look after themselves at some stage, it's wonderful. So that in itself, if I say to you, I'm going to go and make something of myself, you'll say, good plan. But something went wrong here. Now, the, the, the clever thing is the word Babel is Babel, and it actually means in Hebrew, confusion. So there's also a literary little wonder in this passage where the people worked in a little pun for us to appreciate today. The Tower of Babel, the Tower of Confusion, but Babel also referring to Babylon. And we all know that by the rivers of Babylon, so many things happened. Genesis 11, verse 1 to 9. Many different commentaries about this passage. It's, um, I have to say, I, I had to park my research at I'm not going to get sucked into disputable matters. Because some commentaries of the most um, incredible theologians says that it happened before Noah, and some of them say it happened after Noah, some of them say that it was when the earth was still one piece of land before it split into different pieces. And some say, no, it was just localized to that area. So I'm not, I don't want it this morning get stuck into disputable matters because that's what it is. But God deems it important to include this little piece of history right here in the beginning of the Bible, which means there must be something for us to learn from this. Not so. 
because there are no coincidences in God. There is design because he is the designer and the creator. Not so? And everybody said yes. So let's read Genesis 11 verse 1 to 9 together and let's see what we can glean from this in my own um, yeah, basic way, what I've taken from this and hopefully what feeds me will feed you. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Now Shinar means also summer. And they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That is quite important because up until this point, the people made bricks out of clay and left them in the sun to dry. All of a sudden, there's enlightenment. And man realizes for me to get strong bricks, I need to add energy. And the energy I'm going to add is fire. And they start making bricks. It's a moment of enlightenment for humanity. What are some of the other significant ones? Stone ages, iron ages, bronze ages, renaissance. You, you, you get what I'm saying? It's kind of that moment for humanity. Up until then, if the sun wasn't with you and you didn't put your bricks out quick enough, you could build your half a house. But, ach, shame. As soon as that water came, you were not the wise man. That thing washed away. Man comes and there's a moment of enlightenment and they start baking their bricks. Very important. Up until here, it didn't happen before. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, if you go and look at the historical sites where they actually believe that they have found the Tower of Babel, they say those bricks that were baked and put together with tar that we drive on, roads that we turn, bitumen. They are, they are joined so tightly that you cannot seem to separate them, even after all of this time. I think maybe some of us should just build our house out of torn bricks. Interesting, eh? Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, important to note, and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us build a city and a tower so that our names may be remembered. And that we may not be dispersed. Now you can say to yourself, as long as there's a city, you shouldn't be dispersed because everybody will live together. But when the focus shifts from the city to the tower, all of a sudden the, the community and the unity, the focus on that is lost because now we focus on the tower and to make a name for ourselves. God wanted community. He said to Adam and Eve, go, multiply, rule over the earth. He wanted many people to dwell together. It was in his design. So let us make a city. God is saying, it's a good thing. Yeah, make a city. And then man comes and what does he say? And a tower for those that are awake. And over and above a tower, let us make a name for ourselves. 
Interesting, hey, the heart of man being, um, being displayed here, exposed here. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I hope the irony isn't lost on you because man says here that we will build a city that will make our name famous in all the earth. And God has to come down to look at it. Can you, can you see how insignificant the work of man really is in the presence of the Creator? We're going to make ourselves great. God says, what? I can't see. Let me just come down so I can see what you are busy with. When you get wrapped up and so serious about your jobs and the work of your hands and the things that are consuming you, can I remind you that God has to step down to come and look at what you are busy with in the greater scheme of things. I think some people should just take themselves a little less serious and may that sink in this morning. Oh, come let us go down. And the beauty there is that he says, let us. It speaks of the Trinity, the communion there. So, um, so come let us go down and they confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Oh, I missed a verse. I'm so sorry. And the Lord says, behold, there are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you come and and convict our hearts about what we read. Bring to life your nuggets, your seeds. And may what is not of you fall and die a sudden death. In Jesus' name, Lord. My first comment here, and unfortunately I was perplexed by this, so I'm going to have to do it on a commentary basis, if you don't mind. Because my take on this thing was very much jaded by what I was taught in Sunday school. You see, I, was, I, I read this thing, and this was, was taught to me in Sunday school, and I was left believing that God was threatened by man. That, that somehow God was insecure in who he was. So I've really been toiling over reading, what, what can I learn anew and afresh from this? So the first thing I felt God say is, do you notice that they say they had one language, and the same words. Why is language not constructed of words? Why say they had one language and the same words? I want to say a couple of things to you guys. Um, sit it in a brief. Dat is a gaarslandse wind wat die deur trek. Wat sweeten wij? That's, I mean, the words itself is of the Afrikaans language. If you understand Afrikaans, you understand the words. But do you understand the context and what I'm saying? Not, not a clue. 
It's a couple of things we say in our family. If you know, start going on about something, and we say, ach, fat sweets and why? Just, just take your point and go. We, we're really not that interested in it, you know? We dismiss you. And, and if somebody has a complaint, and they moan, and they moan, and they moan about the, this person that, char- that didn't charge them correctly, and this person, they'll be like, sit it in a brief. Please save us the torture. Just put it in a letter and submit it at the complaints office. Sit it in a brief. Same language, different words. Some of the other translations translate this thing as the same language, the spoken collective of words and speech, not words. It's the colloquial way of what we say and how we do. What are some of the things we say here at LRC? Lombronians. <laughs> well, I'll still get shot down for that. I think Tabs hates it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my things. <laughs> I just make up words. <laughs> what are some of the things we say our mandate is his love reaching communities? And any other church, it won't, it won't mean anything to them, will it? No, because their name does not contain their mandate from God. Dutch reformed. I don't know how you work that into some, some sort of a mandate, but come Dutch people, reform. I don't understand. But I'm not knocking them. They do great work. But they, they, they are, I want to say, when we moved back from Cape Town to Joburg, we were all Christians in this church. We walked into a bunch of Christians. But Marlies and I had very different words, very different way of, of doing things. Let, let me give you an example of what, what the point I'm trying to make. In Cape Town, you just rock up at somebody in the church's house and you say, how's it? I'm here. That automatically puts into motion the sequence of now we're cooking together and you're not leaving here before we've had supper and bathed the children and probably gone to the beach. Come rain or, or, or sunshine. And that would happen at four o'clock in the afternoon. How's it? I'm here. Okay. That also put into motion that all the other friends were then invited to come. And before you knew it, the kids were asleep in one room and we were visiting, worshiping, challenging. That was same language, Christian, different words. We come to Joburg, there are walls this size. <laughs> Yo. And we go to people, we're like, hi. They're like, oh, sorry, we're eating now. Can you come back tomorrow? If we buy a chicken, can't we share? No. Different words. Even though we were Christians, the language is the same. Different words. It didn't happen. We had to get used to the common colloquial way of speaking here. What I want to say is when language and words line up, it gives birth to vision and goals. And it gives rise to my second point. It unites us. What informs, what informs your, your language is Christian, but what informs your words? TBN, the next best Christian preacher on the thing, or your home group leader and your community that you're in, or, or, or are you a, a fluent Lombronian? 
Can you speak it? I want to challenge us. When you are confronted with me saying, I'm sick, what are your words? We're already Christians. What are your words? Oh, shame, ne? Can I buy you something for your throat? Or are your words, first of all, let's pray. And then let's buy you something to soothe your throat, if it's still needed. What are your words when, when somebody says, you, I'm really going through a tough time? Yeah, it's difficult for all of us, ne? Or are your words, are your colloquial Lombronian LLC vocab built up with words of faith? And I take it as a challenge as, as the leader of the team, and, and I challenge the, the elders on this team, and I challenge the home group leaders. Is our colloquial vocab filled with faith and wonder and expectation in God? My second point is nothing unites like unity. I want to remind you this morning that we have more in common than we have that, 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 that separates and divides us. When we have Jesus, we have much more in common than you can imagine. That's why Paul can say there's no more slave or free man. There's no more Jew or Greek. There, there's just us. In Christ, there's just us. And God speaks out against this, or, or, or he, he remarks about this, this unity where it says that, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. I want to read to you what our mission statement says. We are a diverse community. You just have to look around to see it. With Jesus in our hearts and his words on our lips, leading people into their God-given purpose with sincere love for all. And that linked with our name, which is our mandate, which is his love reaching our communities. Are you united behind that? Or is it just a comfortable space to be in on a Sunday because now we have heaters? <laughs> I don't want to go to that cold church. I want to go to the warm one. And we even have aircons that blow hot air and grounded. Did you guys feel that this morning? It was amazing. I love it. But do you know the mission statement for this church? And are you on board with being his hands and feet, reaching his communities? My challenge to myself and to you guys is does your speech include something like, who can I pour God's love on today? How is his love going to reach the people in my immediate community? I want to say, I don't need you to get behind the, the, the mission statement that the elders thought of for this church or, or get behind me and say, Johan, yes, yeah, elders, yes, we, we are with you. Yes, on's man. I want to say the best way to tune lots of pianos, to be in tune with one another, is to tune to one tuning fork. And you know this, this is an old illustration. If you are united with God and he has called you for this time to be in this church, you are united behind him. My question is, are you giving vent to that? You see, it's easy for us to say, but I don't feel 
surrounded by people. Where's the unity for me? Are you surrounding people? Are you building unity and community? Where there is unity, I will command, send, ordain my blessing, says God. The third one is God's greatness. Um, and it's, it's that verse where they say, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, as I said previously, God wants us to go and do certain things. He wants us to go and build community. He wants us to go and advance his kingdom. And it's, it's all good and well if we stop at that. But we as humans, in the arrogance of our hearts, we take it step three, four, and five, don't we? Well, Johan takes it step three, four, and five. And then I get confronted with the elders that say, Johan, is this a God plan or a good plan? And it hurts a lot when people say that to you. Just pointing it out, guys. But, okay. Let me tell you a story. And it's, it's, uh, I, I, it, it is emotional, but please don't listen with overly emotional ears. Just get the point here. We, we had in Cape Town, our house had two flats at the back, and we would continually pray and say, God, who do we let uh, live in this property? Because we felt God told us that certain people would come and live with us. And he told us this girl is coming. She's a young lady in her 20. She's going to live with you guys. We go and do the kitchen. We deck it out in a pink kettle, a pink toaster. Ah, it was fun. You know, it, it was beautiful for her. She lived with us for two years. And she was lonely. So she was now going from mid-20s to end of 20s in Cape Town. And she's like, man, I want to be married. And we're like, yes, it's a good thing. Let's pray for this man. God says, if you desire that to be married, let's pray for the man and, and you prepare yourself as the best wife that he'll, he'll ever have. And we go on this journey, but she was just restless in this thing that she wanted, a partner. Goes on and we started seeing that she was pulling away from, from Sunday school duties and from community. And all of a sudden she says, ha, I've got a boyfriend. Like, nice, can we meet him? No. Why? He's not a Christian. Like, how's this going to work? No, 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 I think I'm going to lead him to the Lord. God's oh, very tough, eh? Can, can we get to know this oak and just walk with you? I don't want to make a decision for you, but I want to walk with you. Ends up, he's um, a Hindu. And eventually, in her pursuit and her infatuation with this guy, she says she's moving out. Moves out. And for two years, we don't hear anything about it. It was devastating for us. She wasn't like a daughter, but she was like a close sister, you know? And one Easter Friday, we get a knock on the door, and here she is. And of course, it's like, hey, how are you? Like, Whatever, we've sent her messages and whatever, but we didn't really get a response. And here she's back, and she comes and she sits at our table. Our, our house in Cape Town was very much open plan around the kitchen. She sits there where we normally sit. I start making coffee. She starts to drink it, and the next moment, halfway through, she just breaks down, and she's like, 
I need God. Like, yeah, we all do. We know this, but like, what, what particular is going on? It turns out that the partner that she had pursued was a devout Hindu guy and refused to be convinced about Jesus Christ. But further than that, he was completely addicted to pornography and ended up selling her out to his friends. So he would roofie his girlfriend and then let his friends do what he wanted, they wanted to do with her and make his own films. This is debauched beyond what you can believe. Now, the point I'm trying to make is not just shock, shock you in this, but there is this thing that up until a point, it was God's plan for her life. Be married. Yes, I'm going to give you children. But what does man do? In our arrogance of heart, we go and work it out ourselves in plan step three, four, and five. Now, I'm, 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 the, 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 the joyous part of this is that she's in love with Jesus and she is safe and she's restored and he has gloriously come and, and put back her life on, on his plan and his purpose. That, that is just our God, isn't it? But when we deviate from pursuing God's greatness, his design, and we start pursuing our own name and our tower. We forget that there's a city to be built to the glory of God. No other. Fourth point, and I'm rushing to conclude on Father's Day. God's perspective. I, I felt that, uh, I already alluded to it, but I felt that the, the Tower of Babel story was about an insecure God who was threatened by man who was going to build a tower high enough for them to reach to his state of gloriousness, if that's a word. And I felt that it was then the story of a vengeful God who was spiteful in his actions and said, look at what I'm going to do. You're not going to stand, understand one another. Na, 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 na. And you can't build a tower that will reach me. That was my perspective of this thing. Who else thought that, what, what is God's problem with people building a tower? Like, I wonder what he's going to do in Santon with that monstrosity that's going up there. Like, is, he, is he just threatened by us? And of course the answer is resounding, no. God is God and there is no other. He is secure in who he is. So why am I left with the idea that he then comes and spitefully prevents man from building something great? We sit at theology on Thursday. As a staff, we sit in the mornings on a Thursday. And we're busy doing the doctrine of God. So it's presented to us that God is eternal. He's outside of time. God is outside of everything. And how when we look at this point in time, we experience what's happening at that point of time. And it is the fullness of our point of reality. But when God sits here and looks at that, his vantage is from much bigger and higher. And it is a single dot in the reality of eternity. Which for us 
if you could follow all of that babbling, is insignificantly minute for God. And what seems to be man stuffing up and God having to intervene is God saying, don't stress. It's this in this, and I will redeem this for my greater good. And that's what he does, isn't it? Because he spreads them right across. And he disperses them. And what he spoke in Genesis is fulfilled. Go forth, multiply and occupy the earth. Have dominion over it. And it happens. God is not threatened by us. God is not insecure. And God is not spiteful. But God is holy. And he shall not be trifled with. When we start to build something that gives us glory and not him, God's perspective is, I shall intervene. How many things are we building? All of us. It gives glory to us. That's our stuff. That's us. Can we get back to the point where we do what God said and build the city, not the tower and not the fame of our names? And then in wrapping up, point number five. I must say the children have been absolutely amazing today. Well done, parents. God redeems our mistakes, doesn't he, hey? That's what he does here. He redeems the mistakes of humanity in pursuing their own name. But the final point, I say another confusing state of language. I don't know how to make sense of the things I write. I'm sorry. But where else is there God intervening with changing languages. Where else in the Bible do you find God saying, let them speak in different languages? Pentecost. Acts 2. And they were all gathered together in one accord, pursuing God. And there was a sound like a rushing wind, and I'm paraphrasing. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, tongues of fire came and divided and rested above their heads. And they were all filled with different languages, speaking the greatness of God. And people looking at them said, what is going on here? I hear in Afrikaans, in Hindi, in Swahili, in Italian, in whatever language you can think of. I hear them praising God and saying how great and how good he is. Can you imagine that? What do the people say? They must be drunk. Change of situation here. Man is not pursuing his step three and four, his own way, his own tower, and his own fame. He's pursuing God. When we get together as a people with common language, common colloquial words, Faith in our hearts, a vision united behind God. He comes and he invades us. His presence 
floods us. Because I think we forget that Pentecost wasn't about just speaking in tongues. That the Pentecostal charismatic church would like us to believe it was all about that. But it was much more than that. It was the presence of God that is lifted from earth when Jesus ascended. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you won't be alone. Here is Emmanuel, God with you. And he says, the Holy Spirit will dwell with you. Pentecost is about the very presence of God being with man. And what man stuffed up in, in, at the Tower of Babel, where they focused on themselves, they get and and there's somehow redemption here in Acts 2 because man doesn't focus on his own way. He focuses on God. And God says, I will again send you different languages, but this time not to confuse you and not to separate you, but to unite you behind praising me and making known my glories in every tongue and language on earth so that every tribe will hear the greatness of who I am. And that's how wonderful our God is when he comes with his perspective and his redemptive nature. And he takes what we've stuffed up and he says, no more, I will restore. Because my plan from my vantage is much greater than your concern for that single point of time. His presence. United we stand, divided we fall. United in him, we will prosper for him, for the king and the kingdom. But I warn us today as a people, as soon as we start pursuing our own greatness and our own towers, God will not stay silent. He will act. But the flip side of that wonderful reality is true. As soon and as, as we always stay focused on him, his glory, his design, his plan, his praises. He will presence himself in our midst. Isn't that what it's all about? Because in his presence, we are reformed, reborn, redeemed, restored. How man previously caused separation, God comes and causes unity. Won't you stand with me? Father, I pray that this morning in your presence, Holy Spirit, that you will convict our hearts. That you will remind us that there is so much more in Christ that unites us. That we can stand together united for you. We don't have to focus on that which separates us, Lord. Father, that we will stop to focus on those mindless observations when we speak, but that we will start to fill our speech and our words with faithful, powerful declarations of the reality of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That we will remind each other as a people who we are united behind. <laughs> we don't just do this for another church building that we do this for the creator of heaven and earth, Lord. Father, I pray for the reality of Pentecost, the very presence of God, that which happened at Pentecost, to be evident in every life, Lord. That in this week, people will realize that the Holy Spirit, you are there with them in person, in power, that your presence never leaves us nor forsakes us, Father. That we can do your will, 
because you empower us to do it. I pray for a mobilized people, my God. I pray for a people that says, yes, in God we can do this. Convict our hearts, my Lord. That we won't be a people that's caught up in a state of confusion, but that we will be a people that's united behind the will of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.